Sorcery is the sauce fools spoon over failure to hide the flavor of their own incompetence. Welcome to 2C1C, a Game of Thrones podcast founded in 2010 by myself, Will Lentz, Greg Atkinson, and Brett Zeiler. Now hosted by myself, Daryl Lloyd, and Kyle Vansel, with guest appearances by past hosts and more. Many thanks to GRRM and FFG for making this possible, CardGameDB for our hosting, and Josh Woodward for the Creative Commons music you hear in this episode. Welcome to Season 4.5. Really, I think that's a pretty interesting quote. But, alas, I do not have co-hosts this week to comment on that particular uh, quote. Hey guys, welcome to episode 177 of 2C1C. Uh, This week, it's just me, Will, also known as Kenan, uh, for the intro. The other guys hit some last-minute scheduling snafus, so I apologize that... uh, we weren't able to get them in here and tackle some of the topics this week that we were wanting to tackle. One of which we had uh, mentioned coming up uh, in our prior episode. Uh, wanting to kind of spend a little bit of time tackling a revised core set uh, that could be used in a rebooted or rotated environment. And this is still something we're working on. We're looking at at covering uh, one house a week. Um, We're kind of nailing things down on Stark, who will kick things off next week. Um, But prior to that, I kind of wanted to intro it a little bit and let you guys know uh, some of the things that I was thinking about uh, as I put this together uh, on the core set end. Of course, obviously, it still has to be a good starting place for new players. And by still has to be, I actually mean at this point needs to become, because I think we can all agree that the Thrones core set um, does not stand the test of time. Now, this is for a variety of factors. Uh, Of course, the the card pool is larger now. Uh, There's a lot more efficient cards uh, across a wide spectrum. Um, So that affects things. But even if you were to go pick up a core set now for, say, Netrunner or Star Wars, uh, something much more recent, I think you'll you'll notice there is a real difference in the playability uh, and quality of the cards in those sets and uh, the way they're constructed, the the distribution of how many copies there are of particular cards uh, and things of that nature that really show that FFG's come a long way and learned uh, much better how to actually construct these core sets uh, so that they are a valuable starting point, a valuable resource for players, which is great starting off these new games, uh, new systems, and really getting things going right out the gate. Uh, Thrones, I think, was in a much more tricky place uh, because of that CCG to LCG transition, of course, I think made 
bringing that power level down, which FFG did on purpose uh, from the the CCG to LCG was a huge drop uh, into that core set in power level. And I think kind of figuring out that balancing aspect coming out of that prior world um, was tricky. And I think that skewed their vision some. And honestly, let's not forget, you know, this was the first of the LCG core sets. So it was a brand new idea and they were still kind of planning out what they needed to do. So, you know, that said, I can't help but wonder if at this point the very idea of a core set needs to be, you know, tweaked and re-examined. And I can't help but wonder if FFG needs to use Thrones to once again pioneer a change uh, an improvement to the card game model, in this case the LCG model. Now, what, what we've got right now is a 220 card uh, core set with four decks, four houses represented in it, but none of those decks are actually uh, large enough for you to play uh, in a tournament setting. Uh, they are, I believe it's a 45-card deck with a plot deck, uh, which is actually seven cards. But it's it's designed for multiplayer, for melee, which I am okay with uh, in the abstract. I love melee. I have a huge blast with it. But, let's be honest, those decks are not even, you know, playable at a melee event because of that deck size. Um, you know, so the, the box sits at... Uh, you know, what, about $40, $39.95 uh, for that box, which really isn't that bad of a price. Um, if you divide that out by cards, then you're going to come out to uh, be, let's see, it's like 18 cents a card. Not too bad. You know, comparatively, if you were to divide that out by the price of a chapter pack, you're sitting at about 25 cents a card, which is definitely a difference. Now, the reason this matters, of course, is when we're taking a look at what we could maybe do for this uh, revised core set. And I think there's two different ways to go, and I've, I've mentioned in passing, I think on the podcast and definitely in the Skype group, um, one way that I could see this going, which honestly I think is my preferred way, which would be to split things up and have three core boxes, which would be dual, would be joust format, one against another, uh, so two houses included in each one, enough cards for a full deck. Honestly, I would like to have a little more than one full deck's worth of cards um, and have some crossover between, you know, neutrals and themes and plots and things uh, present in each of those so that there is even some customization ability right out of that box. But it's, it's much easier, I think, to just grab a buddy, be like, hey, let's buy this one box, let's sit down, you know, throw down against each other, and get into the game um, like that. And, you know, depending on how things go, um, if we were to go ahead and do three of those dual boxes, assuming we keep the price point... Um, to the core level, which I think is probably inflated ever so slightly by the inclusion of the uh, plastic title pieces, which I think could be shunted into a separate uh, melee starter product, which I haven't even thought of tackling yet. But I think there, there's room for that sort of thing. 
that could bring it down even a little bit more. So if we just multiply it out by the numbers uh, with what I'm looking at right now, we're sitting uh, at a, just under $34 for the one-on-one -on -one box with some good customization options. Um, so I'm looking at 93 cards total uh, for each house, so 186 card dual box for each one of them, which I think gives you uh, enough room to kind of tweak things a little bit, and honestly, it might be even in FFG's best interest to lower that profit margin just a teensy bit lower, go ahead, bring that down to the $30 mark, and make it you know, the price of two chapter packs to go ahead, hop in, and roll, even though you would get quite a few more cards than a chapter pack. Now, of course, on the other hand, if they price it out at the same price as chapter packs, we're sitting at uh, a little over $46 um, to get started, which means, you know, uh, maybe bring, if FFG could lower that down at a $45 price point, uh, it's a little iffy, I don't know, we'll see. On the other hand, there's a slight chance, it's not my preferred option, but there's a slight chance that, that uh, you could just go ahead and box everything together into one large core set, one deck for all six of the houses, which I think is preferable to a box that just has four. At that point, you're looking at a 558 card set, based on the numbers that I have broken down, which we can go in which we can go into more uh, next week when we have Stark in front of us. Again, at a core set, uh, estimated cost puts it at $101 and some change. I think FFG could easily bring that down just a pinch to like a $99 price point. Sounds expensive when you think of one box, but for a new player uh, wanting to jump in, you would get a ton of value out of that new starting point. Even then, at a uh, chapter pack price point, you're sitting at 139 You could go ahead and leave it there, round it off at a, basically 140 Maybe manage to pull that down just a little from there to, to round it off. Um, it's not my, my favorite solution, but if we're just radically rethinking what the, the core set itself is or should be, whether it should be this same box, same size dimensions, uh, as all the others, right at that $40 price point and, and all that, I don't know, you know, maybe it is worth really going out there uh, with something eye-catching and, you know, with the right art, with that turned uh, out sideways, facing out on a shelf, you know, uh, in the size box of, say, Twilight Imperium or something at the same price point, that might really catch people's eyes. So, there you have it, guys. We're going to dive in a little bit more on some card choices and, and thoughts there on Stark next week. Now, aside from that, we have a uh, bit here with Mr. John Bruno, who was kind enough to jump in with me. Uh, and if, at first, we were just going to talk a little bit about some FFG news and keep it as a short 20-minute uh, or so segment. But we managed to touch on some uh, reboot and rotation uh, hints and thoughts and, and organized play and all sorts of uh, little side notes and interesting uh, insight into the mind of, of a champ. And so uh, we actually hit nearly a full episode. So enjoy.
so. It seems like the show is at least halfway to its namesake uh, this week. So, you know, small blessings come out of awkward situations. Uh, with me here for a few minutes is Mr. John Bruno, who I think a couple listeners might have heard of once or twice. <laughs> Howdy, Will. How are you doing tonight? You know, not too bad. Scrambling a little, uh, of course, but hey, that is actually nothing new. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we've had a little bit of news out of FFG land uh, lately that we hadn't covered yet. So I thought we'd kind of touch base on it. One, I think, is exciting. Uh, FFG's really jumping on the store championship uh, bandwagon, so to speak, early this year, it seems like. I don't remember. How early did they announce uh, like applications for that last year, John? Man, it definitely was after Worlds. Okay, that's, that's thought, what I was, was thinking. Definitely after Worlds last year. I mean, I don't remember if it was in... Yeah, it had to be like January. I think the applications were turned in in January last year. Some were announcements came out January, I believe. So, yeah, it was uh, definitely really early this year, which is, I think, great. You know, so more stores get a chance to apply. And, uh, I mean, store championships, I think, are great and ideal for the game because it's, in lots of ways, they're better than two years ago when we had a lot of regionals. So I like store championships. I think it's good for the little stores. Yeah, I think so too. It's wow, it just seems so early cuz uh let's see apps run through the I think it's 3rd of October it says. But they've they've uh opened up the the window a little wider for hosting them. So that's nice. So right. they can run anywhere from the 1st of January uh through March 31st. So that's pretty cool. It it did feel like there were a ton cramped in and of course there there's more store championships than regionals now, which like you said, is great uh, to kind of funnel that down. So they, they really, I think, needed to widen that. Definitely. I also think that hopefully this year, last year they were very vague to the stores in terms of, or at least maybe to the participants, about when to run it. And each store was able to run their own. You had to contact the store to find out when they were going to run it. Mm-hmm. Maybe this year by having it early, they can – post on their website like they do for regionals when the different stores are having their championships and you don't have a lot of overlap, especially for lots of areas where there are a good number of stores participating so people are not overlapping tournament dates. That would be great. And especially, you know, just to to find out, because I really got the impression last year, there were a lot of stores running store championships, like in areas not far away from, like, established known to the wider community groups, but that nobody knew that store was running an event until, like, you know, day of or stuff like that. So Very true. Very true. Unless you were a frequent visitor to the store, and that store might not have even been a major, like, player in the area, let's say, but maybe they have a good four- to six-player base. Those people knew, but, like, in California, where we're so huge, there were store championships that we had to find out kind of last minute and a couple were at the same time and it'd be nice to not have that situation happen this year because mm-hmm. we travel well we like to go travel at least in our in our state well yeah i think uh last year i remember seeing news of you at uh at a tournament every weekend for like two months or something like that <laughs> it was fun i had a good time this past year this this year playing in the the store championships in the regionals yes mm-hmm 
Well, and speaking of the championships and the regionals, I kind of like in their uh, announcement article, they've got this fancy uh, pyramid graphic to really map out for people <laughs> the the store championships or that broad base layer that funnel into regionals and then up to national and then world championship. So I, I kind of like that, and it's interesting to see just national mentioned there. I think they've finally dropped the the term continental that they they tried to make stick for Gen Con for a couple of years. <laughs> I think I uh, like national. I, I mean, I like the fact that there's like take for example this year we're gonna have you know how many maybe a handful three four five players tops depending on what other countries are represented mm-hmm. at the worlds have a buy this first year as opposed to felt like 50 last year buys. Um, I do think that, uh, that's definitely better for, I don't know, for just in terms of play, you don't want to have it lasting all day. And the, you know, even the, the two day thing is kind of interesting too. Yeah, I agree. And it's, it's nice you brought up the, the buy system. They've, they've really made sure they put that out there, uh, for folks that you only get a buy to the next step up. Uh, in this scheme here, so that that really cuts down on problems we've had in the past uh, at some of these higher level events where a ton of people had buys. Exactly. One thing they do need to clarify is now I don't know because I didn't go to Gen Con this year, and maybe other people who went to Gen Con could um, clarify this. But if you won a regional, that gave you a buy at Gen Con. But the winner of Gen Con ends up being the person who has the best overall for Joust and Melee, mm-hmm. which seems to contradict, at least go against the way things are usually run. Because I, I, most store championships and most regionals were run as Joust events. And so if you won a regional and you used your buy at Worlds, or at, sorry, at Gen Con, mm-hmm. did you get a buy to only the Joust portion? What if you won two regionals? I mean, I won two regionals this past year. If I had gone, could I use one regional and joust the one in melee? I mean, so I like a little bit of clarification from FFG on that. That's but, a really um, good point. I've never yeah. heard of anybody trying to use their buys in the melee portion, uh, but if possible, that sets you up really well for the rest of that day. Right, and you know, my if you read the certificate, I mean, I, if I read my certificate I got from from uh, winning a regional, it says that you get this entitles the bearer to a first round buy at a, you know, in a first round of a national championship. So it doesn't wow. say joust or melee. So, exactly. I mean, like I said, I had two. Could I use one on each day? Yeah, that's, that's a great question that I don't believe I've heard anyone asking before. Um, and now that it's been brought up here, you know, maybe that'll happen, or maybe we'll get to Worlds and find out there when someone tries to uh, to use theirs in Melee. Um, gosh, yeah, that's tough. Yeah, so you know, I just like a little bit of clarification and maybe how it's going to work with uh, Melee and Joust. I mean, as like we talked about before, I'm not a huge fan of an overall title. I love the fact that we have a Melee winner and a Joust winner, and I say... You know, great for that, but um, you know, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, if you take like last year, you know, Ryan Jones won last year. He won melee, so you know, I'm glad that he's an overall champion. And in, in previous years, um, you know, Corey, you know, Flaherty won. He won overall, but he also won melee that year. So you know, Zoomain in the past has won 
overall and one melee. So, and I don't want anybody to think I'm trying to bash Eric, but there's been other people who have been an overall title, whether it's been Gen Con or Worlds, um, who didn't even win an event. You know, that's kind of unfortunate. I mean, I was glad at least, you know, this year that didn't really happen, right? I think John Andrews won melee. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Sure yeah. Did. So, so that's great. I mean, you know, I, it's, I don't, I, I don't really, you know, I'm not trying to bash anybody who's won that before in the past. It's just that it's nice to have somebody who's a title winner be a title winner, <laughs> win an event. Right. Right. Well, and as you pointed there, most of the time, the overall winner has, has won one of them. And, and also in those cases, I think has been in at least the top eight, uh, of the opposite event. Um, for the most part, not, not all the time, but for the most part, yeah. Yeah. Nobody's actually, I don't believe, no overall winner actually won Joust. Okay. Anyone yeah. who actually had two titles that year, like an overall and something else, that something else was melee. Gotcha. Yeah. Kind of kind of funny how that works out, huh? I know. <laughs> um, well, uh, okay. Aside from uh, you know that aspect of kind of the pyramid system, something else kind of kind of struck me here in the announcement uh, because it harkens back to a change we saw in the tournament rules back in the spring, um, where there, there's this segment in the article that mentions. What does competitive level mean? And it mentions that uh, these casual, competitive, and premier tournament levels uh, were added in the rules, uh, in the tournament rules document, and, you know, mentions that this is a competitive level event. And I, I just find it really interesting that FFG is bothering to really codify that sort of thing and say, well, players should have a pretty strong, but doesn't have to be, you know, fine line K-Tom sort of understanding of the rules at an event like this. You know, to like, to me, that almost seems like overkill unless there's something else coming out to go along with casual, competitive, and premier. I, you know, I, I don't know what, if there sh- maybe should be card pool limitations to go along with these different levels or... Something Are you else, possibly a you know a hinting to something coming out at announcement at Worlds. Maybe people would talk about you know. I'm just saying it makes me wonder. Yes. Um, it it really does because I I was kind of racking my brain when it first was put in the tourney rules. Well, why why does that matter? Like in the Thrones community, that feels like overkill to me. Mm-hmm. So I, I think so too. I mean, the one thing I would say is I would like to see. I don't know, maybe that, I don't know if this is clear why it's in there, but even, like, I played at some store championships uh, this past year. I played at one store championship, I can think of for sure, where a player showed up and had, like, two restricted cards. And Oof. some somebody the came... of the restricted list. I know. Somebody showed up with, like, a Baratheon Long Voyage deck. So, you know, that was, you know, it's like, we got to take your agenda off. But now your deck says 75 cards, so sorry to hear that, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, I do think if you are going to play any kind of competitive event, even if it's a local casual store tournament, not even backed or supported by FFG, you should be aware of what the rules are. And hopefully the TO will be able to provide you with that information there, too. But that is kind of like, you know, the onus is on the, the person who's actually attending that event. But... Um, I don't know if that's in there for that any reason too, but yeah, I've seen that happen numerous times in the past. So 
Yeah, agreed. And and if I remember right, I think I heard that it, the double restricted thing happened at uh, Gen Con this year as well uh, in the Joust. Yeah. Well, if, I mean, if it you know if it does, it's it's you know it's on that person, and if they end up taking a game loss or um, I hate to say booted from the tournament, but you know that sort of thing, it could happen, and I'd hate to see that happen, but really. It's on that person to know what the rules are if you're going to play an event. Agreed, agreed. Um, but you know, I I'm glad that one of the one of the nice things about the Thrones uh, tourney scene at the moment is we try to be as as forgiving as possible. Sure. To those sorts of situations, because well, I would I would hate to be the the new guy that turns up at Gen Con and sits down to play. And you know, gets DQ'd and booted from the tournament round. Right, two. and you know, it really kind of depends on you know. Um, all right, look. In general, let's say that I'm playing in a in a, you know any event, and I sit down and play somebody who you know has a has two restricted cards. They like say they're playing a Lancer deck, and they play Pentoshi Manor, and then later on they play Castellan of the Rock. I mean, they might not have been paying attention to the latest. Changes when Potosi Manor went back on again, and they thought it was okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I am as my that the opponent, I'm in my right to tell the TO, and the TO has a couple choices. And sometimes it kind of sucks to have to put that TO in that position because you know they do have to make a decision, and you're not trying to be a jerk because we do for the most part have an amazing community, and you're not trying to like dick somebody over, but. It also puts the the TO in a, in a bad position. So it would be nice if they had some kind of rules like that. Like, what would you do if you're running, it, running that event? Would you, you know, say, okay, well, you lost that round. Pull those three cards out. If your deck is still over 60, play with it next round. I mean, you know, that's one one option. Mm-hmm. It just it kind of depends, right? So I don't know. You have to – you have to. Uh, I, sometimes things are kind of fuzzy, and I'd like there to be – can't say black and white because I guess things are a little bit different, but maybe just something in general like – if uh, your deck it does not meet the regular deck building requirements for a round, and you it happens in the round, you lose that round, and you know you make the adjustments for the next round if possible. I mean, something like that, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, you know, the tournament I played when I came out to Missouri this year, and I'm not going to say anybody's names. I'm not trying to like you know call out anybody this way or anything, but it was I me, played, wasn't it? It's fine. You can say it, Bruno. I'm not going to say the person I played in the first round of the top eight and, you know, traditionally do well against. But, no, I wasn't going to say that. But, no, it wasn't. Actually, the first game I played at your at the regional, uh, my opponent presented his deck to me. I presented my deck to him. We cut decks. You know, we, we set up. Um, and then my opponent was looking at his plots and realized he had naval reinforcements in his plots. He presented his deck to me. I cut his deck. Ouch. He already flopped. He had a five-card flop, I think, too. I didn't even pay attention. I just saw the Granger house card. He was playing a black sales deck uh-huh. and, and didn't give me a deck and a hold and didn't set up a hold. Now, technically, I have said, sorry, you gave me your deck. You have no hold. I don't know, but I didn't really care. It was like, you know, I'm not going to wow. be a joke about it. I just I said, you know what? Pull everything again. Go ahead and do a de- Go ahead and do a deck and a hold, and we'll go from there. Wow, that's tough. You know, I hadn't thought about that kind of situation. What is the uh, the exact wording on that black sales agenda? Do you even have the uh, the possibility to accidentally do that? Uh, what does it require? 
Um, no, it just says when you reveal it as your agenda, shuffle your deck and cut it into two stacks. Right. I think it, I think it was required that you guys uh, try to go ahead and fix that. Thank thank goodness that you didn't realize it. You know, turn two or something. Right, right. I didn't even when he saw his first plot and he's like, you know, oh crap, I gotta, I don't have a hold search. I'm like, I don't, yeah, let's re, let's restart. It doesn't, it's not that big a deal, you know. So uh, I know it was accidental on his part. He didn't do it on purpose. It's the first game we're both just getting started at it, so mm-hmm. you know. But I mean, those are things that you can't write every single rule. You're not going to write a rule specifically if somebody has a black sales deck and forgets to do. You know, you just kind of have to put some kind of guidelines in there for the TO where they do have to make a decision and not be, oh, the RTO's a jerk. and he's. I mean, you know you know what the rules are. You know how to play your deck. If you don't, that's on you. Right. And, you know, the, there really aren't any rules right now on, like, deck legality uh, issues or, or guidelines kind of on TOs on those types of situations. I agree with you that writing specifically, you know, if they have a black sales deck, yada, yada, is is too fine but it would probably be nice to have some kind of general guideline so that it's not you know 100 percent up to the to to look like you know because in those situations depending on personalities involved he's probably going to look like a bad guy of some kind to one of the people involved exactly one side or the other and at least if he has a framework that he says hey you know i'm sorry the situation sucks we're going to work it out under these type of guidelines. You know, there, there's at least a starting point. I agree. I, I would like to, I don't know, at least give something in the rules there, something in the clarifications, just that, you know, the TO has to, you know. And I would also hope that, in general, we have a great community. And I would love to see, you know, our community be, you know, hey, I messed up, it's my fault, you know, and not come off on the TO. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that covers most of that announcement aside from the prizes. And mm-hmm. I, I I like that it mentions in here that uh the prizes get bigger as the competition goes up in these different levels of the the pyramid because when I look at the prize package for uh store championships this year, I actually do think that it's gotten larger. Of course, it's got the buy to a regional, top 4 play mats, Top eight get deck boxes, and then top 32 get an alt art card. Right. Um, the deck boxes are different. I think we only had two last year. Yeah, that's what like I first was thinking. Second. Yeah. So everything pretty much is the same. What you know, what you said right there is what they had for Thor Championships. The only difference is is the top. there's top four deck boxes that are top two. And, they, you know, there was a plaque last year, too. I don't know if that's presented. Yeah, that. there's one There's one in the picture. Um right. Oh, no, it does say a store championship plaque and card grounding, granting first round buy for a champion. Here's one thing I would like to say. I mean, I, you know, I did win, uh, two store championships and, and two regionals this past year. So to use my store championship buy at a regional, I had to give the actual certificate mm-hmm. to the TO, which kind of sucks. I mean, it's something that maybe you like to keep for yourself. You yeah, know, I can see souvenir that. souvenir thing. Like in the previous years when we won a regional and we could use it at Worlds, they gave us a little card to fill out, and that card was what you, you know, presented at the next event to get your buy. So they should do a certificate and a little card so you can keep your card, some certificate, because people want to frame that and have that posted or something and show that off where 
Like, here's my nice certificate from FFG. It's all embossed by FFG. It's like, right. it looks good. Now I have to give it up, and the TO is just going to take it and throw it in the trash. That's pretty much what the directions are. The directions are for the TO is just, you know, get rid of it afterwards, you know? So I hope that they fix that. Agreed. Um, and, you know, speaking of the sweet, uh, of that sweet art, it also reminds me, uh, this alt art, uh, street, which I think people are theorizing to be Street of Sisters. So it, yeah, it appears to have Cersei doing her walk of shame. Like, that's pretty awesome. And now this may be a crazy theory of mine, but in, in this big, uh, rumor mill at the moment of possible reboot or rotation or, you know, whatever the announcement might be, I, I would at least say, you know, if there's something too strange and big and crazy coming up, then I would be a little surprised to see a Street of Sisters reprint in the uh, Spring Store Championship kit. Sure. I hear you on that, but I also but who think knows? that. Yeah, <laughs> no. It's, if you also think about it, too, in terms of uh, playable cards, obviously everyone could play this one, but Street of Steel has been reprinted in a box set, I think the Stark one. Mm-hmm. Shadow Black Lane has been reprinted in a box set, the Lannister one, right? Or the Targ one, or Martell, I don't know, one of those other ones. But we never had a reprint of Street of Sisters. So people, the only thing you can get that right now is by getting the core set. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, it's just kind of something to, maybe that's a good reason to do it. I was actually glad to see Street of Sisters. That was, that's a good a good choice of a card. You could always do. use more. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, so I, I like that idea that they did that one. Um, by the way, a little trivia thing to, to, to say. I don't know if you saw this on the the webs and everything, that crazy Internet thing out there. But um, they did say that that Game of Thrones did did get permission to film Cersei's Walk of Shame for a, an oh, upcoming yes. episode at a church, you know, sort of thing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's pretty cool. I'm glad they're going to have that scene in there because... You know, that's such a great scene from the books, and I'm sure it won't be Lena Headey because, you know, she's got all these crazy tats all over herself, so they'll probably have to have a body double for her, like... Oh, wow, I didn't didn't know she had tattoos. She's got massive tattoos all over her back, and so they actually had a stand-in for her for her ass scene the first time, the very first episode of the first season. Uh-huh. And so I'm sure they'll probably get, like, some stand-in for her, but some body double, but, um, but still, it's kind of a cool scene that I'm glad will be shown and it is is upcoming yeah definitely i mean not only just uh, the titillation i'm sure for folks but uh it's a pretty major character uh, and and plot moment for cersei so that's all i care about what are you talking about titillation what yeah you, i mean anyone who knows know. me knows i completely i only care completely about the integrity of fulfilling the the books is that i'm not that kind of person yeah exactly <laughs> I I can only imagine uh, you'll have to commit seppuku when the uh, books pass the or sorry when the the show passes the point of the novels. Exactly. Well, that's why we won't have Bran this year. Yeah, boy, that how weird is that uh, that they rushed his story forward so much <clears throat> that they can write him out of a season. Crazy. Poor Hoder too. Yeah, but hey, it's Bran. No one actually cares. Yeah, by the time they come back, like when he shows back up, he'll probably be like six feet tall now. And... Yeah, that's the other <laughs> thing. You know, when you write a kid out for a season like that, um, I mean, even just look at the last season. Uh, go look at Bran in that season. Watch any random episode you want 
listeners, then go back and watch like episode one of the show, you'll notice a pretty big difference. And that's the same kid. Right. You, don't, you don't think about it too much, you know, when you're watching it sequentially. But if they take a season off and then come back to him, yeah. there will be a noticeable difference. Definitely. I mean, just look how, how much uh, Arya's grown since the yeah. very first episode of the last season, you know? so The pair of working with child actors. Yep. Well, aside from that bit of news uh, for the TV show, which was definitely good to uh, really, really draw our focus on again, uh, we've got one other bit of FFG news. They announced the fourth pack of the Warden Cycle, which is a time for wolves, uh, and showed us several cards out of that pack, one of which I'm uh, I'm actually kind of eager to, to get some thoughts on because it's another champion card. Yeah, is it a, is it a plot? It is indeed another plot. Uh, so here to, you know, we have an, a unique opportunity to get one champ who created a plot to comment on another champ's plot. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, now for the listeners, that is a time for wolves. Um, and that's Dan Seafelt's card. Uh, it's a three gold, three initiative, one claim plot. And when revealed, search your deck for a neutral or in-house creature card. With printing cost three or lower, reveal it and add it to your hand. And if it's a dire wolf, you may put it into play instead. Then shuffle your deck. First off, I was wrong. See, Dan, when he won, he won overall that year. That's why he got to make the card, but he did win just that year at Gen Con. That was 2012. Oh, I was saying like the overall, nobody actually won overall and Joust. Dan's the only one that's done that. It was, gotcha. He won overall and Joust by winning um, Joust in overall 2012. But okay, anyway, there so. we go. <laughs> yeah. But it wasn't a world championship at the time. It was just a national championship at the time. Yeah, actually, yeah. I, it says national champion on the card, but I yep. could have sworn that year in 2012 they were calling it Continentals. Uh, yeah, I think it was, I always thought it was national, but it could have been continental, and maybe they changed the wording on it afterwards, but anyway, going back to Dan's card. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, per, I, I personally, I mean, I think the card sucks. It's terrible. It's another champion plot. I wanted to be the only champion with a plot. So now I can't. I mean, it could no. be worse. You could have an arrogant contender. That's true. And that, that's terrible. It's a great looking art card, but just a, you know, a card that nobody will play, but you know, it's like. Yeah. It could be worse. Could be, you know, a pinch of powder or something. But no. Yeah. Um, know, I'd like to point out, Dan even kind of copied you, because uh, I'm I'm only assuming the man being eaten alive is supposed to be Dan in the art. I thought you were going to be the only champ having terrible things happen to him. In, crazy, in isn't it? Art. Crazy. But I, Dan's card, Dan, it's a good card. It's a really good card. I love it for. Um, for Stark decks, obviously, it's a great, great card for a Stark deck, and I think it's, I think it's a really good card. I think it's definitely going to be seen. I think it's going to see a lot of play. I love one-sided search cards. Oh yeah, that that makes it huge alone right there. Yep. Just like the new, the, the last three plots that we received, the ones where um, you can go search if you're running this house, go search for that house card. You know that those are awesome because. There are so many cards you're going to get with those, like the current plots I'm talking about. Um, mm-hmm. It's like, if, let's say, I think the the Targ one lets you go get Drake, Greyjoy. Well, right. if I have that in my deck, I can go or, get I can go get any of the, you know, I can get Bay of Ice, I can get Kingdom of Shadows, I can get any of the um, the, the unique uh, one-cost influence producer ones, you know, so 
I mean, it's just those cards that you can go get besides obviously all the great character and mixing of houses you can do, but just in terms of being able to search and get a one-sided card for a benefit, I think that's pretty strong. And be able to put the uh, the card into play is going to be even better. So I, I really like I like Dan's card a lot, and I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens. You know, the thing that seems to be happening with the set coming up, this next cycle coming up, is that, you know, I like the, the plots seem interesting. These castle plots seem interesting, how they're going to run. I hope they don't yeah. go like, like the rivers. And I also like to think that this, the, the fact that strength seems to matter, like you're going to get a bonus now, it seems, for playing four-cost stuff. So I like that, you know? Yeah, especially, I mean, that tends to be the the unique stuff. And it's kind of interesting, though, speaking of, the the set is kind of all about the love of cost four and up stuff. Yeah. Uh, but Dan's card is coming out in the middle of that cycle, <laughs> and it's love for cost three or less. Exactly. So... Well kind of counter there but Definitely. yeah i don't know um it, it looks great for stark i'm wondering do you think it's it's good enough um in other houses that you're gonna want to go grab a carrion bird or the neutral ghost uh and drop him into play i think carrion bird without a doubt um you know i i could see i could see carrion bird what about ravens can we go get ravens with it Oh yeah, I mean carrion birds are a raven. Um right. but yeah, yeah, you can change up the seasonal stuff a little bit or have two seasonal searches. Well, say you're playing um you know, the summer agenda and it's already winter, you would this way you can get rid of the the winter before draw phase. Might be missing something here. Are you thinking out of Targ and then using Raymond Derry to to drop the attachment into play? Sure, why not? Or? That's one way to get rid of it. If I'm running a Targ Summer deck, I can drop it. Just a way to get it right back in your hand, drop it out, you know. Yeah, so yeah Dairy is a good one to use. Okay, well, I, I was just uh, just trying to think there, since since it didn't put the uh, creature right into play unless it was a dire wolf. I was trying right, to, no, it has to be a dire wolf that part. cheat that in. Right. Yeah, it seems cool. And I know uh, Daryl has been talking about wanting to build this kind of jank warhorse deck uh that he's been thinking about with the um the specialized prize guys which you know a couple of the warhorses that might actually not be too bad on when you can ensure that you get that effect pretty pretty reliably um, yeah. and time for wolves i i have to say slots right in i don't i don't think it's going to make the build t1 but it at least probably makes it worth playing around with Oh, for sure. It's going to be, I love cards that just, um, make you think one way, but then when you think outside the box a little bit for it, and then you can do something else with it, it's pretty cool. I, you know, I think that's definitely going to be a, a fun plot card to play with. And I like, by the way, I would like to say the idea you had, there was a little bit of redundancy in there. You said that Daryl was building a deck that's going to be a little bit janky. I mean, in oh, general, yeah. you might have to leave that part out. That's obvious, the janky part. That's that's actually a really good point there. Yeah. <laughs> Should have just uh just left it at one statement and and gone from there. Exactly. You know, it's like building a Siege of Winterfell deck and then playing Minstrel's Muse, you know. Yeah. Who would dare do Who such a Who would do that? Who would do that? I don't know. We're going to have to get him back on here soon to defend <laughs> himself. Love you, Daryl. Terrible. Bye. 
Well, uh, we've got, uh, what, I think three other cards? No, four other cards that were kind of, kind of teased here in the article. I don't know if you have it up in front of you right now, uh, John, or if I should, uh, refresh you real quick on which other ones we saw. Yeah, go ahead and refresh my memory and the listeners too. Yeah, because they, they look kind of tasty. Um, I may just go ahead and mention, uh, mention each of them here and then we can kind of talk in general about them. But, uh, we see Peter Baelish, who's a yep. neutral, four cost, three strength, intrigue, and power. He's a house Aaron and a lord. Stealth, and of course, if you control Littlefinger, discard Peter Baelish from play. And then as a limited res- response, Neil Peter Baelish to cancel the effects of an event card just played. And that seems pretty sweet. We that also- Pretty awesome. Yeah, we also get Elaine Stone. Uh, she's Stark, three for two, intrigue and power. She's house Aaron and a bastard, house Stark only. Similar text, if you control Sansa Stark, discard Elaine Stone from play, and response after Elaine Stone enters play, choose a castle plot card in your use pile, reveal it as a new plot card. And let's see, um, Lisa Aaron is a two-drop neutral, two-strength, intrigue and power again. She's a noble, though. Lady, House Aaron, and Tully. Response, Neil Lisa Aaron to cancel a triggered effect with a, with any form of the word plot, or non-plot in its text. Um, so those, I think, kind of relate together with this whole Aaron thing. Maybe I'll come back to the fourth card in a sec after yeah. we look at those. Um, but they seem really, uh, really interesting types of effects for uh, for Aaron. It kind of makes me wish uh, that they were getting their own, I don't know, house card or something. Or heck, it could be something like the like the neutral faction house card, just to let me fiddle with all this stuff. Sure. I, you know, the thing I, just like an aside, besides this, I, I just love the art in those cards are so great. Oh, my goodness, uh, yeah. That's that, one of the things I love about our game. We have really such great artwork overall. You know, there's the artwork looks really good on these cards. Yeah, I love that that Elaine Stone. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not sure offhand that I've uh, seen art from this artist before, or at least had really registered, and I'm sure I would butcher the name, Drazenka Kimple, if I can read <laughs> it correctly in that art, I'm I'm sure I'd, I mutilated it, uh, but that art, I think, I think hands down before this, my favorite artist was uh, Magali Villanueve, if I'm getting in the ballpark on her name, but this, this Elaine art is getting up there in that same ballpark and i love that i agree it's it's pretty really nice art and the cards seem like they're going to be fun to play with which is it's really cool that we we get some characters that we haven't had before yeah and it's it's kind of an interesting way uh or at least not an interesting way we've seen it before handling these characters that have uh a given name and a nickname that they're known by or in elaine's case uh, a cover name that they're given um, and it's it's just interesting to see that mechanic creeping up uh, more. It still kind of makes me wish that they had handled it the way they do in one of the other games, like, say, Cthulhu, where everybody has the same given name but have that kind of identifier underneath uh-huh. uh, that's not game text but would let you do, you know, Sansa Stark, and then underneath Elaine Stone or Sansa Stark, 
you know, daydreaming of nights or whatever like that, <laughs> just to, to get that flavor aspect or the nickname or whatever taken care of and not give this awkward, you know, wording like we have on Peter and Elaine. Yeah, I could see that. I, I definitely could see that. It's, uh, but it's nice to have like a Peter Baylor's card. That's kind of cool. You know, we haven't had that before and especially when it's not an ally. So maybe you can keep it out there for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Lord, I mean, stealth, good stats, uh, strong effect there. Um, I like him, but geez, how much canceler are we going to have in the game here? We've got Lisa who looks like she's aimed squarely at, at wheels, wheels. Ariane. <laughs> But mainly wheels, uh, you know, she she's given us some specific cancel. Peter's given us some more uh, generic cancel we've got. And, of course, Hall and Royal Decree that we just got this last cycle. Like, we're, we're getting into a very uh, cancel, I'm not going to say saturated meta because it still depends on how often people play it. But there's a lot available, or will well. be by this point true and i mean that's going to be true for everything as the game goes on and unless there is some kind of rotation i mean just take targ i mean you feel like you have to make a burn card in every cycle and eventually mm-hmm. have so many burn cards and lannister has so many neil cards and stark has so many kill cards you know it's like you keep that going maybe they're doing some of this stuff to replace some other things that might be going out the door that we don't know you know, that's that's a good point. That's totally a valid thought. Uh, maybe maybe castles could replace cities or something, which sure. you know would sadden me a little bit. I'm still one of the few folks that really likes cities and that you know the level of commitment they require. But uh, you're right that the castles look like they'll play in a very interesting way. I mean, the that text on Elaine, I keep rereading it. Uh, and, and trying to wrap my mind around the implications of re-revealing one of my used car, plot cards. Right. Um, you know, and if, if the castles all have effects on when they leave your revealed and move to used, you know, then that, that's gonna let you trigger a castle that you had revealed and yep. set you up for another one next turn and just, it, it's a very interesting different twist on the plot manipulation, I think. I agree, and hopefully, you know, we don't get to the point, like I said, with rivers where you feel like you have to restrict or ban any of them and, you know, change them and everything. I hope that they're monitored so we don't get that way because I've always, one of my favorite elements going all the way back to, you know, the CCG days was the very first incarnation of Wheels of the Wheels. I've always loved pot manipulation. It's always been a lot of fun to do. So um, I don't want to see it get too out of hand. I mean, Arion plus Rivers is pretty crazy there for a while. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I mean, heck, even now, I played a game the other day where I was using Bran, and Bran with Rivers, and I'm sure people have seen this already before, I went through my plot deck twice before my plot my, my with the Rivers, and my, my opponent only had, didn't just barely make it to a seventh plot by the time, you know, we, we finished the game. So yeah. uh, it's still out there. It still exists. We just got to... Keep an eye on it so it doesn't get too crazy. Yeah, I mean it. It can be kind of crazy right now. I've I've been tinkering around with a variation on that uh, Baratheon Conquest to Stark deck. Yep. Um, and I was playing that this weekend, and you know, got to a point where I was revealing. Uh, let's see, 
Bran, let's see, Bran, then Stand With Hand of the King is two, yep. Stand With Maria is three, and Regular Reveal. Yeah, I was revealing four plots per plot phase. You know, I had cycled through my entire plot deck like four times before the mm-hmm. game ended, something like that. Um, and, you know, even even in that case where, you know, I'm splitting my plots up with a few rivers and a task and Mel's scheme and, and uh, you know, wildfire and the like, even though I've only got uh, so many that are really impactful on the board, like when, when you're revealing that many a turn it really adds up and your ability to uh to really manipulate which one is left on top of the the pile as your actual reveal plot at the end of it um i don't know it was really fun and really interesting uh for me to play but i can definitely see where it could be a problem from yep. another player's perspective yep i agree and you know, the smart part, I mean, I, you know, I've only been playing with it for a little bit and fooling around with it and, uh, you know, obviously it's a lot of fun, but, you know, if you play it right, you really can protect brand very well, mm-hmm. you know? So, like I was doing, and you may have done this too, and I'm sure other people have done that too, like I was doing pre-plot revealing at the Palace of Sorrows, choosing brand as my card that's going to go to the top of the deck, you know, that sort of thing. Or you can do, um, you know, just to make sure he wasn't out there when I did Valor or something, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, right. So they're like just the little things you could do to protect, you know, and it's definitely a lot of fun to see how how long you keep Bran alive for. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and depending on what you want to do, you've even got some, some backup uh, shuffling him back into the deck with yep. uh, with Edmure. Edmure and, Zala, yep. Yeah, at the rate a deck like that digs through its own deck, it's not long till you till you get him back. I know, uh, but you know maybe we're delving into a, another topic uh, more deeply uh, than we meant to. There's still one card left in this article, and I find it really interesting. I'm kind of curious if you think it's enough to push one of these kind of uh, side themes into competitive territory. This one's an, a, a Martell event, a hidden game. Oh yeah, that new one. Yeah, limited response. After you lose a challenge, kill a Sand Snake character you control to choose a character. Until the end of the game, that character loses, uh, sorry, gains prized one and loses all instances of all challenge icons. Yeah, and, you know, but still, if I play at the Palace of Sorrow, that character leaves play. Cards lose memory when they leave play, right? Um, that's the until the end of the game. Yeah, I'm. I'm not. I sure guess we need to kind of get a ruling on that. Yeah, you know? that that creates kind of a wonky, lasting effect. Which yep. I'm going to assume looks for any copies of that card by name. Which but, I would agree with you, but again, I would want some clarification on that. Right. Right. Well, and speaking of clarification, we've always. Not always, I guess, but uh, there's been this kind of wonky thing that's come up with icons in the past uh, as a as a difficulty for people to wrap their minds around, um, where icons are additive and subtractive. Um, you know, I mean, I'm probably uh, describing this poorly uh, with a math teacher here, but uh, the the icons, I suppose, perhaps I should say, are cumulative. I can have three intrigue icons. It doesn't matter for game terms. 
unless someone tries to take away an intrigue icon, and then I still have two, which, yep. as far as the game cares, means I can still make it or defend intrigue challenges. Um, and then we ran into the situation where if something happened to say, like, loses all icons, well, that doesn't really mean all in the English sense. That means loses one of each yep, in exactly. the kind of screwy game terms. So does a hidden game fix that issue or it, uh, it, it's a slightly different wording. So I'm not sure if that actually fixes it and makes it so it's truly all in the, in the English sense. Right. No, it's definitely, um, you know, it's kind of funny. It's one of the things that I, I love about this game, but it's also very frustrating for many people about the game. You know, just how some of that stuff, like you said, the wonky part of the game that isn't always intuitive and, you know, it's, it can be frustrating for a lot of people, but it's one of the things I really do like about the game. I do like that. I do like that. It's, I mean, it's an interesting, you know, it's one of those things you can kind of get used to, um, eventually, um, and just roll with it. But, uh, you know, in some ways I kind of just wish it was cleaner and, and not there. Just, uh, I don't know. There, there's a level of, of complexity that you need, I think, to make a game fun and interesting, especially in the long term. Um, but that, that that slope has a peak, and you start coming down the other side um, into complexity realm where, you know, teaching and learning it is kind of more trouble than it's really worth. Right, and maybe that could be something that could be cleaned up. Who knows if that's going to happen with any kind of reset going oh. on. Who knows, but in a lot of ways, I would like it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, there's been lots of people discussing, you know, speculating what could happen. It'll be interesting. It's something I'm really interested to see what's going to happen at Worlds. Yeah. You know, one other thing we didn't talk about, I mean, I'm sure you probably got it for a future show, and we don't have to delve into it now, but will there be a new FDQ before Worlds? Will there be a chapter pack or two? of the new cycle available before Worlds, and what would that do to the environment for Worlds, you know? Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of just see what's going to happen with that. I don't have answers for those, I, I you know, but uh, it's just something I'm, I'm definitely curious about. Yeah, I, as far as the chapter packs go, I have to admit, your guess is as good as mine, but as far as the FAQ goes, I at this point I have to assume there will be. Um, you I know, would think there will be, too. Yeah, FFG's pretty loosey-goosey with their release dates and such, um, but they they are pretty consistent with getting one out at some point in between the major segments of the tournament se- or tournament year. So, yep. So I'm interested to see what that's going to be. It's going to be, uh, you know, how many, how big a shakeup will be, how many cards will be on that list, changed, edited, who knows? You know, it's uh, it's anybody's game. Sounds like a good topic for a future show to me. Sounds like a good one, too. I think that would be a great idea for a podcast, Will. <laughs> it, indeed it would. Maybe we'll invite you back on that one on down the road. Cool. I'd be interested to uh, talk about that. Cool. All right. Well, any other uh, kind of parting thoughts on the, the topics we had for today? Or props and slops, if you'd rather move? Well, I do have one like thought in terms of uh, this stuff. I love yeah. the fact that still that FFG is still ramping up their prize support, that they're doing 
you know, already thinking ahead for the game, and they're doing it for all their games, which is great. So it definitely shows a lot more um, planning for FFG, which I've been before in the past. So I'm glad, you know, the game seems like it's going strong and it'll be around for a while and supported for a while. And I'm sure we have the show to really thank a lot for that. But so many people have come back to the game. I mean, just look at Gen Con this year. And look how huge those numbers were. There were more people to play the Gen Con this year than ever. I'm yeah, sure I love breaking those records. It'll yeah, be great. I'm, I'm sure it's going to be true for Worlds this year, too. I mean, we've got a two-day event for Worlds. It's going to be interesting to see what happens for Joust. Well, so, I was going to say, yeah, if you count Thrones as a whole, it's three days then. Yeah, which is exactly. Crazy. Which, you know, is great and not so great. Great if you, you know, love Thrones and that's all you want to play and that's what you're going for. But not so great because you might not be able to play in other events if you're playing, you know, Netrunner, Conquest, you know, whatever, Star Wars. Some of those things overlap and you might not be able to play in two different events. Yeah, some of them. Though, looking at the schedule... I have uh, a better chance at some of that than than usual. If I scrub out at Melee, for instance, this year, it looks like I can probably get in on Cthulhu because it starts late afternoon. Mm-hmm. That's um, true. Yeah, or if I scrub out of Thrones uh, Joust in the Swiss and I'm not playing in the elimination rounds, then I can jump in on, I believe, Netrunner Day 1 is... Right. That day, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's true. That's definitely that's definitely true that you can, and um, you know, I bet you'll be the only one going from Thrones to Cthulhu. But yeah. uh, <laughs> I'm, <Almost> sure, <laughs> I'm sure there'll be a lot more people who just didn't play a Netrunner at least too. <clears throat> but you're right. It's there is there are opportunities there, and you know, the thing that's great about going to the event center anyway is just hanging out with everybody and. Getting the chance to sit around and play lots of pickup games and yeah, you know, maybe, maybe we'll do our pick up Lord of the Rings or something. Yeah, well, the draft the draft sure, again last year was great. Let's run our own draft tournament or something, you know. So that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, like you said, it's it's just so hard with a weekend like this and trying to get all the games in. It's just like a Gen Con in that you'll never be able to do everything you want to do. Right. Exactly. So I, I at least I give FFG props. Uh, because, you know, they spread it out an extra day this weekend, and I think that that made a difference. It's about as good a schedule as I could personally hope for, you know, with the acknowledgement that it, it'll never just be able to be one event a day spread out so that I can do whatever I want. <laughs> right, right, definitely. You know, one thing I would have loved to see, too, not to go much longer, but the first time that I won the World Championship in 2005, um, that was the year they had the first day was – you know, an all-day tournament, you qualified, you placed in top 16, and then there was a second day where the top 16 came back and played for the championship. And the second day, you could actually play a different deck. That would be really cool if they did that this year. I, I've always kind of liked that, you know, that you could play a totally separate deck when you get to the, when you make the cut. That would be kind of fun. Yeah, I mean, if everybody has the opportunity to do that, that's right. crazy what that does to the field and the meta and everybody trying to, like, second-guess themselves and each other, you know. Yep. Uh, Greg had this great deck, you know, that went undefeated. Does he keep playing it, or does he try to juke us and, you know, flip to Martell, so then we have to try and counter that? Like, there's a whole new ball game that opens up. Yeah, I always thought that'd be kind of fun. Yeah, uh, that'd be I cool. Know, I don't know. I'm sure that's not what their plans are, but still, that would be kind of cool. Yeah. 
Well, awesome. Uh, thanks for coming on, John, and uh, actually kind of surprising me and probably the listeners as well. Uh, I think we pretty well got a full episode out of this. Uh, and here I thought I was just going to bug you for 15 or 20 minutes to talk about some announcements. But all in all, I think it feels uh, like a pretty full episode. Yeah, we covered some good topics. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for uh, being available there, John, and we'll try and drag you on again soon. Sounds good, Will. Ghost.